All right, we're back in El Paso, <clears throat> which is very sweet for me. <clears throat> uh, I can't uh, tell you how much I missed being here. Uh, I thought about it a great deal while I was coming out. When was the last time I was here? June? March. March? No. Yeah, because we came from Tucson. Is it? Or maybe no, June. It was June. Yeah. yeah. Again in March. So, um, this is very sweet. I like El Paso because there are many, uh, many gifted people here. And I say gifted, uh, gifted because Krishna has chosen to, um, for some reason or other, to give you his mercy. There are many people who are able to understand this uh, spiritual life. So you're very fortunate. Uh, sometimes we, well, most of the time, we don't understand uh, why Krishna does things. Uh, but it's always wonderful, it's always sweet to, to see. Many places I go, sometimes much bigger cities, and uh, not as big a crowd. And sometimes I get a big crowd, but small number of people who have quality. And qu by quality, I mean able to understand, you see. Able to understand to the point that you can act, you see. So, uh, and whether you act or not is free will. Krishna gives you free will. The living entity, uh, first of all, uh, are any of you here for the first time? Yeah? Uh, I've got free books for all you first-timers, by the way. So... And maybe even a free book for those who have come back. I'll see how many books we have. We'll see. Uh, so for the first timers, let me just explain this Krishna consciousness. You can come closer if you like. I'm unarmed. <laughs> I, I took my meds. I think. So if you like. It's, it, it's hard for me to see, so I like to look at faces. I like, I like people. So, um, this Krishna consciousness, sometimes people want to know, what does this mean, Krishna consciousness? This is the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, uh, most commonly known as the Hare Krishnas. It was, uh, this movement was started 525 years ago in West Bengal, India, by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Uh, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the combination of this Radha and Krishna. Remember I was telling you about the female and the male forms? The two of them decided to combine into one personality and come to this planet. Uh, uh, in, uh, uh, I forget the year, 1587 or something? I don't know. 1500, uh, 525 years ago. So, uh, why? Now, if you, uh, people say sometimes, well, how do I know that really happened, you know? I mean, is that recorded in history? Well, actually it is. It's recorded in history all over India. But if you remember what was going on in the world at that time, uh, at that time in Europe, uh, the accepted reality was that the world was flat. You know that? You've heard that, haven't you? In 1492, uh, yeah, you're right, it was 15-something, yeah, 1500, uh, I mean, yeah, 1525, I think. So in 1492, Hare Krishna, good to see you. Uh, there, was a, there, there were predictions of Lord Chaitanya's coming. The sages were talking about it. Uh, there was a move in the world to go to India. You see, Christopher Columbus found North America because he was heading where? India. And he thought, well, there's nothing between uh, the shores of Spain or England. I can sail all, around, all the way around this globe and hit India. He was, go he was going to India. Therefore, when he, uh, they discovered the natives of this continent, they were called Indians. They thought in the beginning they were in India. Uh, the French um, um, explorer, Ponce de Leon, was looking for the fountain of youth when he sailed for India. And he hit Florida. Now the fountain of youth, Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was, was referred to as the fountain of youth. You see, it spread all over the world. The fountain of youth has come. Why is he called the fountain of youth? Because he can end death. You see, the end of death. Now, 
How can we end death? We end death by ending birth. You have to stop being born to stop dying. So, uh, the living entity is on a trip. We're on a, a sojourn, a spiritual trip. We are eternal living entities. We have always existed. There never was a time when you could trace back when you did not exist. You're unborn, you're undying. There will never be a time in the future when you'll cease to be. You're eternal, an eternal living entity. Some philosophies say, well, we're eternal, but we had a beginning. We were created in the womb, and then from here on out, you're eternal. You have one life, and then you can go to heaven or hell for eternity, you see. That's not true eternal. Eternal means going both ways. See, in, in our material calculations, we don't understand the laws of the spiritual world because we're conditioned by the material world. Eternal means both ways. Always this way, forever being, and forever will be. Not starting and staying, you see. That's, you might say, partial eternity, you see. There is no way that uh, we could not exist. So, you may say, all right, if I'm a spirit soul, and here I am on this trek, this spiritual sojourn. Uh, first of all, where did I come from? Why did I come here? And what am I looking for? Okay? So, uh, where did you come from? You came from the spiritual world. You came from a place called Goloka Brindavan. Goloka Brindavan is the origin of everything. You see, everything comes. If you could see the spiritual world, it's, a, it's got a, uh, a whirl like a lotus flower. If you looked into a lotus flower, you would see all these different petals. And then the center is Goloka Vrindavan. You see, that is the residence of Krishna. Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead. Is he the only personality? No. He has, uh, he's unlimited, so he has unlimited uh, expansions. So, uh, we came to this material world because we wanted to see what it would be like to be the center of attention, you see. In the spiritual world, Krishna is so wonderful, he's so beautiful, he's not this mean God that throws thunderbolts at people and turns you into pillars of salt, he's not, that's not the personality of Krishna. There are personalities of, of Godhead who maybe punish you see, <clears throat> we're not dealing with them. We're dealing with Krishna, the original personality. Uh, uh, by the way, let me explain before I go uh, any further. Some people want to know, well, uh, so you got a name for God. Well, I call God Jehovah or I call him Buddha. Well, see, in, in our world, not all of our names have any meaning. You see, my name was Jim. What does that mean? I have no idea. Bob, Fred, what is it? You know, they're just like grunt words. You know, it's I grunt a sound and that identifies you, you see. Uh, Krishna's not like that. He has unlimited names and all of his names have beautiful meanings, you see. So this Krishna is a very special name. Just to vibrate that sound, is very special. For instance, uh, let me give you a really good comparison. Uh, if you met uh, the president, you see, you may walk up to him and say, well, how would you greet the president? What would you say? Good evening, Mr. President. Mr. President. Good evening, Mr. President, you see. Now, if you were someone in um, uh, perhaps Congress that knew him extremely well, you know, you might call him Mr. Obama. Good evening, Mr. Obama. How are you today? You see? If you're one of his pals from Chicago that he grew up with, you might say, Hi, Barack. You know, how's it going? But his wife, Michelle, doesn't call him Mr. President. She doesn't call him Mr. Obama. She's got some special names for him. She may call him honey or sweetheart, you see. Special, warm and fuzzy names that intimacy allows, you know. 
I don't think the vice president calls him honey. You don't think, anyway. I don't think so. <laughs> so, when the president hears someone say, honey, he says, oh, who's saying that? Oh, it must be my beloved. You see. So, this sound vibration, this Krishna, is a warm and fuzzy name of God's. This is a, addressing his loving nature, you see. It's a, a sweet, up-close-and-personal name. It means, oh, my most beautiful, most beloved, most wonderful, you see. So when we say that Krishna, when that sound is vibrated, Krishna says, hmm, who is saying this? Must be very special, someone very close to me, you see. It's okay if we use it. You know, it's not like the vice president calling the president honey. You know, it's not like that. You see. So, um, we have a loving relationship with Krishna. It's all about love. It, there's really nothing else but love. Some people at this point say, well, love and respect. No. No. Krishna, in his home, in the center of the spiritual world, doesn't get any respect. Love, and if the quantity of love is big enough, of course respect may be there, but you don't even see it, you see. When people are close enough intimately, respect may be there, but it's based on just love. You see what I mean? Love overrides everything. It includes everything and it overrides everything. So, uh, our relationship with Krishna is transcendental and unlimited. And our relationship with Krishna is one of love, unlimited love. It's difficult for us to imagine that in this world of limited love. We're in this world of conditional love, you see. My love for you may be predicated on um, something about you, something you do for me, you know. When I take you to a party, people see you on my arm and they say, Oh, just see, that man has this pretty lady on his arm. He must be very special. So you do things for my ego. That's why I love you. Or you may be talented. You may be a great singer. And I love you because you sing so nicely. I love you because, you see. When there is a because for love, it's tainted. Now you've got to think about that. We're going into real deep thought here about love. If someone says, if you say to someone, I love you, and they say, why? The only real answer, if it's unconditional, total, pure love, is, I just do. They may say, but I don't love you. That's okay. That's all right. It doesn't stop me from loving you. The, the, it's not a deal. I love you and you love me. You see, a lot of times love is based on sense gratification. If you satisfy my senses, and others, maybe you're very pretty. When I look at you, you're pretty. Not you, her. <laughs> Not you. You're pretty too. You see what I mean? You please the eyes. You please my ear. You please my senses. You please my sense of touch, whatever. You see. You give me pleasure. That's why I love you. That's material love. I want something in this deal, you see. It's a business deal. I'm going to love you, but you're, you know, you better, you better fulfill what I want. Pure love, unconditional love, means I love you, period. You know, the deal isn't based on, well, you have to love me back. And a lot of times in the material world, not only do, do I expect you to love me back, but I expect you to love me at least as much as I love you, maybe even more. You see? I'm not saying we're all bad. I'm saying we're trapped in the material world. We're trapped in the, uh, the consciousness of the material world. And we're trying to escape that. So, uh, by the way, does anybody ever feel, have you ever, I'm sure, has anybody ever felt unloved? Sure. Show, show of hands. Has anybody ever felt unloved? 
Okay. Now, why is that? Why? Think about it. Why did we feel unloved? I know why. When you know the Vedas, you know everything. Some things. Some people call me a Weisenheimer, but it's all in the books. It's all in the philosophy. We feel unloved because we're not loving. You see, we are not entities that uh, love the way we think. See, in other words, I want you to love me. I want you to love me. I want you to love me. I want love from everybody. I want love. Well, how do I get it? I have to give it. You see, I have to give it without any strings attached. I have to become loving to feel loved. In the material world, it's all about me. Remember, we left the spiritual world because we want to be the center of attention. We're in the we're in the world where Krishna is there. Krishna is the all attractive, most beautiful, most wonderful, funniest. He's got a great sense of humor. He's He's delightful, you see. He's so wonderful that you just can't take your eyes off of him. Neither can all the other innumerable living entities there. Every living entity is, is having this loving relationship with Krishna, you see. So Krishna is the supreme. That means he's the supreme everything. Being the supreme everything, he is the supreme lover. He's the supreme romantic. Krishna and romance. Krishna is romantic, you see. So, for uh, us to have a romantic relationship, you have to choose me. If I force you, then it's, it's tainted, you see. If someone says, you know, you better, you'd better show me that you love me, or else. You may go through the actions and perform some activity, prove to me. But see, it's tainted, you see. There's no romance in that for either party. It's twisted, huh? You see, so for you to, uh, for it to be romantic, you have to have a choice. Now, Krishna is the most wonderful, most beautiful, most attractive. There is no other choice. There isn't any, any other choice. Who can compare with this Krishna? He's so wonderful, so beautiful. It's not possible. But that's not romantic to him. So he gives you the illusion of choice. He gives you free will. He gives you the ability to choose something else. Otherwise, he feels like you're a prisoner. There's no romance in that. You see? I want you to choose me. That's his demand. If you love me, you got to choose me. To be to choose me, you got to have a choice between me and something else. You see. So that's why the living entity, when we're there in the spiritual world, we may start to think, ah, oh, what if I were the center of attention? You know, what if I were this person that everyone was goo goo and gaga about? I wonder what that would be like. Krishna doesn't get angry. He doesn't say, how dare you. you know, Krishna says, is that what you'd like? That's okay. I can handle that. Why don't you go? I have a place where you can go and search for something better than me. And you can try to be the center of attention. In other words, instead of it being all about me, Krishna, you can make it all about you. Would you like that? And the living entity says, hey, I'd like to give that a shot. Me, in the spotlight, yeah. You know, finally people will recognize me for who I really am. You see what I mean? So off you go on your trip through the material world. You're searching for something better than Krishna and you're trying to show the world, I'm special, you see. It's like a nice, I use this all the time. If we all got together and we took a photo, a group photo, 
and we develop the photo, when we pass the photo around, who's the first person you look for? Numero huh? uno. Me. You see, it's all about me. You see, so that's what we're trying to overcome. That, that when we're when we're placing ourselves in the center of our universe, we're going the wrong way. We're going away from the spiritual world. Now, some people may say, "Well, what do I care? What if I what if I am going this way? Maybe someday the world will see my glories, and I'll they'll put me in the center of the universe where I belong." You see. So, for, for people who feel like that, I say, you, then you need to keep traveling that road. You need to keep going that direction until you get tired of it. You see? It doesn't mean that they're bad. It just means they're not ready to turn around and go back to where uh, happiness, love, pure love is. We, we all want love. We're creatures of love. You see, we're driven by this concept of love. So, what we actually want is pure love. Now, is there anybody here that, that feels that that's not the... I mean, maybe I'm speaking for everybody. I don't want to do that. Anybody here feel that there's something more attractive? I'm an old dog, but you can teach me new tricks. You can, I can learn. Is there any, anything, what, really, anything more attractive than pure love? What about money? Huh? Fame? Lots of profit? You know, distinction? What if they build hospitals and put your name on it? Fame? Wouldn't you like to be in the history books? Would you trade pure love for a uh, hundred times Bill Gates' money. You know, with that kind of money, you can get a lot. You, know? you can get a lot of people to tell you that they love you. <laughs> you had that kind of money, couldn't you? So I think we're in agreement. Love is really what we want. We would give up everything else for pure love. A love that we just don't have to worry about. You see, a love that we're not concerned will go out someday or flicker and die. Pure, unadulterated, uh, unconditional love. You see, that's what we all want more than anything. And we would trade anything for it. Is that right? All right, so at least we know what we want. We're all in agreement. That's what we want above everything. We would trade anything for that. So, and I say this because I like for people to figure out what it is you want. Too often in this material world, we don't really think in terms of what we want. I'll give you for instance, what if you uh, decide that you're going to go on a trip, okay? And you went to the airport and you decide that uh, we're going to take that airplane over there because it's red. Does that make any sense? That's the greatest looking airplane. I mean, it's the prettiest airplane here. Let's get on it. Let's get a ticket to go on that airplane. Doesn't make any sense, does it? What's the first thing that you would ask? What's the first question that comes to mind if someone close to you came in and said, hey, let's take a trip? See where we're going. Where? <laughs> Hey, that's a good idea. Let's get out of town. Where are we going? Now, where we go depends on what we want. You may want to go to the beach, surf a little bit, you know, surf and sand and sun. And the other person may want skiing, snow, mountains. Destinations are totally different. The trip is, a, is the same idea. Destinations are different, they don't match up, you see. So typically, it's intelligent for us to figure out, number one, what do I want? Number two, where is that? Where do I go to get that? Okay, 
Once you figure those two things out, then you choose a path that will take you there. You see, you don't pick a path because the path sounds good. That's like going to the airport and taking the pretty red airplane. You know, you don't go, uh, Aaron and I are going to go to India pretty soon and we're, we don't know what airplane they're going to give us. You know, it could be the new one, it could be a red one, I don't know. British Airways has all these, I don't know. It may be pretty, it may not be. All I know is I know what we want and I know where we have to go to get it, you see. And the path is British Airways. <laughs> so, spiritual life is like this. What do I want? Identify what you want in your heart and in your soul. Where do I get this? And now, what's the path to that destination? That is the path of yoga. Now, you don't have to choose this path of love, of loving Krishna. That's not necessary. I'm not saying you're a fool if you... I mean, you may say, well, you know what? I don't know about this Krishna guy. I'm sure he's wonderful. I'm sure he's very beautiful, witty. You know, can you imagine Krishna telling jokes? The Supreme Person telling... They're funny. He's entertaining. He's, he's loving. Supreme love. You know? This beautiful creature that... Uh, wants to hug you and hold your hand and walk with you. In the spiritual world, it's not like you uh, are a crowd of living entities waiting in line to get to see Krishna. Like if the president were here and you wanted to shake his hand, there'd be millions of people. You know, you'd have to wait in line unless you lucked out. Krishna's not like that. He's unlimited. It's almost like everyone has their own individual Krishna. You see, everyone thinks, oh, Krishna's with me. Everybody's thinking like that, you see. It's good to be God, <laughs> you see. So, uh, some people have this incredible desire once they start understanding this Krishna, that I want to hold him. I want to embrace him. I want him to embrace me. I want to hold his hand. I want to feel his cheek against my cheek, you see. I want to dance with him. I want to spend time with him. I want to make him happy. I want to please this Krishna. You see, Others may say, well, hold on now. That's a little far down the road for me. <laughs> you see? <laughs> I don't want a God that I have in my arms. You know, I don't know if I'm ready for that stuff. You know, I want to keep him at arm's length. I'd like for God to be here, but maybe upstairs. You know, I don't want him in the room. I want his energy. I want what he gives me. Existence. The energy that I, that I am. I don't know if I want to... I'm not... In other words, what he was saying is I'm not ready for this supreme love thing, you know. You see? I don't know if I'm ready for this. Because I don't know if I want anybody that wonderful in my life because it may detract me from me. I'm sitting here thinking I'm so wonderful. You see, I'm the center of my universe. It's all about me. You see? So, this chanting Hare Krishna will um, fix that situation that we have. You see, it takes us out of the center of our world. It'll help us put Krishna in the center. Now we talked about not feeling loved or feeling unloved. Uh, it's really not possible for the living entity, any living entity, to be unloved. It's a, what do they call it? A figment of your imagination. Because you have been loved for eternity, by the supreme lover. Even though you left, his love didn't stop. You see? If anything, it increases because you're not there. Every living entity has a very special relationship with Krishna. He's unlimited. There are unlimited li living entities, 
And every one of us has a very special part in his activities. You are very special to him. As a matter of fact, because he's God, you, all of you, you are Krishna's favorite living entity. And at the same time, so are you. Now in the material world, you've got to pick one. You've got to pick a favorite. It's either you or you. Krishna doesn't have to do that. You can't put him in any rules. See, He changes laws. <laughs> if he has to. No, you're my favorite. And everybody knows Rob's his favorite. <laughs> and how could Aaron not be his favorite? You see, all of us are his very favorite at the same time. You see. So we have never, ever been unloved for even a nanosecond. But we haven't been able to uh, be conscious of this love. Because we're not conscious of the lover. In other words, we're not Krishna conscious. So that's the object of what we're trying to do. We're trying to make people Krishna conscious. Conscious of the Supreme Lover, you see. Now, uh, a good analogy that my guru like to <coughs> likes to tell is that, let's say you see a tree, you know, and the trees, some of the leaves are kind of brown and they, you feel, wow, these leaves need water. How can you get water to those leaves? Can if you just took the water took the hose and put it on the leaves, will that do any good? You know, you got to water the root. The root yoga. <laughs> Is that where you got that name? It's one of the reasons. Yeah. You pour water on the root of the tree and all the twigs and branches benefit. If I want to feel loved, I have to pour my love on the root. The root is Krishna. If I love Krishna, all living entities get the result of that love and the benefit of that love. If I learn to love Krishna, I learn to love everybody, all living entities, not just the human beings, all living entities. If I can learn to love Krishna unlimitedly and unconditionally, then I can learn to love you unconditionally and unlimitedly. You see? Only when we give to Krishna do we get. Now, in the material world, that's you may say, well, that doesn't make any sense. If I want to get, I've got to give to me. I have sometimes people say, I think the problem in the world is we don't love ourselves enough. No, 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 we love ourselves enough. <laughs> we love ourselves too much most of, most of the time. Most of us do. I do. You see? I don't love you enough. I don't love Krishna enough. I don't love you enough because I don't love Krishna enough. But as my love for Krishna advances, <coughs> then I learn to love everybody and have a great appreciation. And, and I'm not talking flowery words. This is absolute truth. I've been doing this for almost 40 years and it works. You see. But we have to love Krishna. What happens? The result is you get what you're not trying to get. You see, in the material world, you get what you're trying to get, or it appears that you do. Spiritually, I, I, I feel like instead of thinking about me, I want to think about Krishna. I'm concerned about him. I don't want to hurt him. I don't want him to feel that I don't love him, because I know I do. My consciousness is just covered over, but I know I love him. I know he loves me, you see. So I'm forgetting about me, and I start to love Krishna by performing service to Krishna and all living entities, you see. What happens? Then I feel enormously loved, you see. When we turn our love towards Krishna, we feel overloved. Can you imagine feeling overloved? In other words, Krishna is loving me so much. Now I'm understanding love because I'm giving love. 
And now I feel the love that Krishna has for me. And it's embarrassing. I think, my Lord, how can you love me so much? I don't deserve your love as much. Krishna says, oh, I'm God. I can love as much as I want. And I love you. As a matter of fact, my love for you is increasing. Every moment. You see? Which causes you to love him. And his love. It's this cycle, you know, of feeling, of loving and feeling loved. You see? Now, can we see how, if we did like this, that this would change the entire world? Mm -hmm. This would change the world as we know it. If I'm not concerned about me, but I'm concerned about you, and I'm concerned about you and everyone else, and we're all like that, now we have harmony. We have shanti. Peace. Peace. Peace on earth, come you have to love. You see. Where do you think the Beatles got that idea? All we need is love. They talked with my guru. It's a fact. They met with my guru. He was a guest at their house. And that's a story that I'll, I'll tell another time. When uh, my guru went to, in, uh, to England, he stayed at uh, the house of John Lennon. And they wanted to know. They were talking to Srila Prabhupada. You know, what did Prabhupada starts telling them about love? And then they, ah, oh, all we need is love. Da, 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 da. So they wrote a song. Basically, that's about all it says. All we need is love. See? It's true. But it doesn't mean, when we say all we need is love, it doesn't mean all we need is uh, some sex life, or I need you to adore me, or I need appreciation. No, we need uh, the love uh, that's transcendental. We need spiritual love. See. So uh, I think I'm going to pause right now, see if there's any questions or comments. I've done all the talking, and I apologize. I usually like to engage other people to to say what's anybody have anything to say? Questions doesn't have to be on this subject. <coughs> I have a question. Yes. So uh, we're talking about the path to love, and like uh, we're saying that it's yoga. Yeah. So. Ultimately, yoga is the only path. But go on. I'm just saying, you know, it's a little confusing. You know, it could be yoga. Yeah. Um, and thanks for pointing that out. I didn't explain clearly. It's, there's, nothing, um, there's nothing wrong with someone who says, you know, I don't really want a relationship with God that I can shake his hand, hug him, or have him embrace me. I want to see him as energy. I don't want to see his face. You see? Now some people will say, because they feel that way, they'll say, well, he doesn't even have a face. Which is foolish when you think about it. God's unlimited? Do the math. Does anyone here think God has any limits? I don't think so, no. He doesn't have any limits. Therefore, he's got to have an, unmanif an unmanifest form. And he's got to have a, f a manifest form. He's got to have a personality. You can't take anything away from this unlimited person. He has everything. You see? That's why he's God. So, uh, persons may say, I want to uh, enjoy his energy. I want to go to the energy of God. I don't want to squeeze him or play with him or talk with him. I don't want him to tell me anything. I just want to be there, you see. There's nothing wrong with that. What you're saying is I don't really, if you really believe, I don't really care so much about this love. Now sometimes people will say, no, no, no. You've got me wrong. I want the love. Yet I'm willing to trade anything for love. But I want the impersonal concept. I want to be part of <clears throat> the energy 
God. So, how can you love energy? You know, there's a, this light, you know, how can we love that light? Bright lights, energy, you may achieve peace, you may achieve happiness, you achieve oneness. What's there to love? When you go to the impersonal Brahman, the Brahma Jyoti, uh, it's, uh, uh, it's there, it, you achieve <clears throat> uh, this word, the Sanskrit word is nirvana. Does anybody know what nirvana means? What do you think nirvana means? Have you heard that? You've, some people think it means a lot of things that it, what it really means, the Sanskrit, the definition of that word is it means nothing. Nirvana means to be away from everything. I don't have to tolerate anything. So when I get into the nirvanic stage, I can achieve shanti, peace. You see? So with peace comes happiness, pleasure. And you can do that for eons. Sooner or later, that desire for love will hit you in the face. Okay? Once you feel good enough, and once you've felt that for long enough, you're going to want love. It sets the stage for love. You see? So achieving that stage is whereas it may be possible to go to the impersonal concept, impersonal, the Brahman, to, um, to go and become part of the Brahma Jyoti. Very difficult to get there. Very difficult. In Bhagavad Gita, Prabhupada, I mean, uh, Sri, uh, Lord Krishna describes the different destinations. He's not an arm twister. You see? He doesn't twist your arm. He's not like uh, some of the evangelicals that are trying to twist your mind and make you... Make, it's not like a car salesman, you know, where he says, come on, you want to take this baby home? Sign right there. Come on. Krishna is not so cheap. One thing Krishna never forgets, he never forgets that he's Krishna. You see? When you're the greatest and you know you're the greatest, there's a, uh, a bit of, uh, let's say, cockiness that might... It's allowed to come with that, you know? If Krishna's a little cocky, it's cute. If I'm cocky, you think, oh, jerk. You see? So Krishna, he's got this feeling like, I'm Krishna. You can't find anything better than me. I know that. And you know it too. You just can't admit it right now. You know, so he knows. And he knows that sooner or later, you're going to want me. There's nothing like me. So he's not angry if the living entity says, well, I want something else. I want to go this way or I want to go. Krishna says, very good. Not only that, but when you make that choice of your destination, you say, I want this particular thing and I want to go to this particular place, Krishna will give you faith to go there. He will enthuse your faith because he wants you to have what you believe you want. Now when you choose him and you say, my dear Lord, I want you over everything. I want nothing but you. Then he gives you faith to come to him. But he'll give you faith to go wherever you want. It says so in Bhagavad Gita. See, Krishna's not envious. He's not jealous. He's not jealous. What does he have to be jealous of? <laughs> he's the greatest and he knows it. He's always got that attitude. You know, hi, I'm Krishna. You know? Kind of like, you know, well, you're lucky to see me. And you think, yes, I am. How are you? You know. What happens when the living entity returns back home, back to Godhead? What do you think happens when Krishna sees you return? He starts to cry and he faints. He's so overcome by love that he faints. 
he passes out. Just, you know, it takes him, knocks him away. For billions and trillions of years, you've been trekking through this material world, and now you've come home. <laughs> Krishna's speechless. He doesn't know what to say except, "We're back." Ah, so sweet. You see. Now, uh, in the grand scheme of things, that trip that you take in this material world, even though you're here for billions and trillions of years, keep in mind you're an eternal living entity. In the scope of eternity, a trillion years isn't even a nanosecond. So to us, this trip through the material world seems like it's taking billions of years, you know. But to you really, to the spirit soul, it's almost like it didn't even happen. It's so quick. And even still, because you're gone for that nanosecond, not even a nanosecond, Krishna faints when you return. Because he can't bear to be without you. You see, he can't bear it. And he's never without you. He's always with you. But to have your love, it's torture. You see. Does that explain it? The path of yoga to achieve love. The words can be confusing because when you think about yoga, mm. you think about yoga like American, what Americans may think, you know? Yeah. Because yoga is a lot deeper than just uh, postures. Right, so that's what I'm wanting to say, like, how can you achieve this love through yoga? Um, bhakti yoga is the process of loving devotional service to Krishna. Uh, it's the ultimate goal of yoga, you see. Uh, the path of yoga takes you through so many yoga systems up to bhakti yoga. So. Uh, yoga, this word yoga means union. It's actually two Sanskrit words put together and right now I'm, I'm having one of those moments where I can't get my mind to remember the two Sanskrit words that make up yoga. But it means to, uh, to reunite. Uh, it's like a homecoming, uh, a return home. Uh, the end of the trip, you see. Uh, so, all of the yoga systems are stepping stones to bhakti yoga for those who desire to get to the loving relationship with Krishna, you see. Uh, what do we need? Well, we need health. Otherwise, the body gives us such... Uh, challenges, you see. In this age especially, you know, the service that you're, you're giving, in this age especially, the bodies have a tendency to give out earlier. The duration of life in this Kali Yuga is much shorter than previous ages. Uh, foodstuffs are not pure. People talk all the time about natural foods. What does that mean? Natural foods means the way foods were a thousand years ago. Natural. How did you get foods to grow? You put compost and cow manure and... Food that comes from a plant? Yeah. Doesn't not, come from a factory. Not made in a plant. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's not made in a plant. It's made by a plant, you see. So anything new can't be natural. Beware. The nature of the material world is we all want five things. I mean, what was it, five? Yeah, five. There's the, the, there are five forces that make all of us choose to do things. Fame, profit, adoration, and distinction. There's only four. I'm sorry. <laughs> You see what I mean? Typically in the material world, it's profit. 
I need to do something because I got the rent I got to pay. I got to buy gas for my car. I got to pay my insurance. So I need profit. Okay? And I'd, it, I'd like to have some fame. You know, I'd like people to see. I mean, I'm just as, in a, here in El Paso, I'm in a sea of a million people. I'd like, for, I'd like to kind of stand out, you know. I want people to know me when I walk down the street. You know, I'd like to go someplace, everybody should know my name. And I'd like fame, you know. Adoration, I'd like to be adored, you know. I'd like to walk in, people say, oh, so nice to see you. How are you, Stephanie? You're, oh, see, I want adoration. Distinction, I want to be distinguished in my field. I want to be better than you. You see, you're good, but I'm better. You see, I want fame, profit, adoration, distinction. So, because I need profit and uh, maybe a little fame, uh, maybe the, the profit is a force enough to make me uh, have to sell something. Maybe it's my time. You know, I go and I, uh, I work for you and you pay me. You see, or maybe I hear that you want natural goods. So I come up with a new natural diet. There aren't any new natural diets. You say natural, let's go back and find out what, did, what kind of a diet did people have when they lived for hundreds of years. <laughs> See? The natural diet. The old the typical, that's, that means Ayurveda. The Ayurveda was the original, you know, so we follow the, Ayur, the Ayurveda. That's natural. Anything else where somebody says, well, I think we can put some of this with that. Okay, that's uh, something you're trying to sell, and you're trying to make profit, and you're entitled to some profit, but I'm not buying. No. Let's see. So, um, this, uh, but the path of yoga. The purpose of uh, this Krishna consciousness movement is to show people not to twist arms. We're not here to change minds or uh, take away your faith, you see. Because you have free will and we have to respect that. As servants of Krishna, we have to respect your free will. We just want to let you know that there's something here. There's another desire that you might have that you haven't thought about. I want to be loved. I want to love. I want ultimate love. And I'm willing to trade anything for it. You see? I'll give up anything. You see? So, uh, this, these uh, yoga programs can take away some of the distraction from an, uh, an, an ailing body so that we can be uh, more conscious. We can focus you see, ultimately, uh, in this age, if you just chant Hare Krishna, sounds too easy. It sounds too easy. People want it to be difficult. But Lord Chaitanya came and he, he distributed this chanting of the Maha Mantra. If you just chant Hare Krishna, then you will achieve the goal. Now, will it help you? If you become fit and healthy, you bet. It will help. It will help. help you sit and chant. Huh? It'll help you sit and chant. Help you sit and chant. Yeah. It will. Otherwise the mind starts to wander. You know, you start Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, 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 Hare. Where's the remote control? Do you see my No. Uh, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Hey, are the cowboys playing tonight? You see? So we need some discipline coming together with a teacher. Not a teacher who's simply uh, thinking, well, uh, and, and, and most of it from my experience is like, hey, let's put out a shingle that says yoga and we'll get people in and we'll collect money. And uh, if you give me money, I'll give you something. You know, and it'd be okay for you. But then there are people uh, like Rob Prabhu that I meet, that want to give you something, feeling like the money will come. If the money, you know. In other words, that is depending on Krishna. Krishna is the source of everything. 
Everything comes from Him. Isn't it? We depend on nobody but Krishna. You see? Uh, as time goes by, we start to realize everything comes from Krishna. All I have to do is serve Him. Everything will be uh, provided. You see? I'm just a... Uh, uh, somebody, some people might consider me to be homeless. I don't have a home. I don't live anywhere. I consider myself to be... I have more homes than anybody. I, wherever I am is my home. Krishna provides everything for me. He sends me to India. People say, well, how does he do that? It comes. He has it. Did you have a question, Gabriella? How does one find it within oneself to be more charitable, to give, to be more generous to everyone? First of all, direct it to Krishna. Water the root of the tree. Direct it to him. You see. Some people say, how do we do that? Well, and we have to... Krishna feels that um, if you're sincere about finding me, if you want to love me, then love my devotee. You see? It's not cheap. Krishna's not cheap. He's easy. I mean, if you love him enough, he's easy to win over. So that means find a guru. I, if you desire me, I will send you a guru. I'll send my devotee to deliver you. By the mercy of Krishna, one gets guru. By the mercy of guru, one gets Krishna. So Krishna says, it's not like, all right, you know, just come on. Some people, especially in the West, people are a little, a little more puffed up than other parts of the world as I travel around. You see, we have a tendency to do that because we're so rich in America, you know. We're, we're, our, we're different. Than if, you, if you travel uh, in other parts of the world, you see that we're so different, you know, we're, we're so puffed up. You know, I hear sometimes people, uh, they will see uh, devotees will pay their obeisances to one another. You know, they bow down. And some people, when they're new, they'll say, well, I don't bow down to anybody. Well, would you bow down to God? Well, yeah, I'd bow down to God. I ain't going to bow down to any human being. Krishna says, if you want to direct your love to me, love my devotee. If you want to bow down to me, bow down to my devotee. And that means swallow your false ego. If you want to find me, I'll send you uh, my devotee. I'll send you Guru. And his only purpose is to give you Krishna. Now sometimes this, this word Guru has been, oh, you know, since uh, Srila Prabhupada came here from India in 1965, so many Gurus have come and they all want money. They want this, they want that. Gimme, gimme, gimme. You know, they want to ride around in Rolls Royces. You know, one of them one of the Indian gurus that came here had 86 Rolls Royces. <laughs> you know, who's that? Marshall. Huh? Marshall. Yeah. Yeah. So many. I mean, they come and they start industries, they start businesses, they build big palaces. You see, my guru came uh, in 1965. He had $7 when he came into America. And uh, all he wanted was to give. I want to give you Krishna. You see, and so Krishna tested his uh, fortitude, his his uh, uh, love. Krishna loves to feel your love, so he may test you. And when you test somebody's love, if the love is real, the love just burns more like hotter fire. You see, so for the first year that Prabhupada was here, he was alone, wandering the streets of New York. Nothing. Of course, Krishna fed him. He had a little this and that. And then once Krishna had tasted that determination, that resolute determination long enough, he sent him so much. He sent him everything. And Prabhupada knew, Krishna will give me, he'll take care. You see. 
So after 12 years, he was with us 12 years before he passed in 1977 at the age of 83. When he left us, when he left this world, after having tens of thousands of disciples all over the world and temples in 108 countries around the world and so many books distributed and so much money collected, he was penniless. He took nothing for himself. He didn't want anything. If you have Krishna, you don't want anything. You see. Krishna will give you everything. And it's like that. Krishna will give you that which you're not necessarily seeking. My dear Lord, I'm not looking for fame, profit, adoration, distinction. I want to love you and serve you. And Krishna is so pleased by your love, he may give you fame, profit, adoration, distinction. Why? Because the devotee uses all that to glorify Krishna. The, the devotee doesn't say, Oh, yes, see how much money I have. Look at my bank account. You see. Just see how famous I am. The devotee always considers himself just an insignificant servant of Krishna. You give, give the devotee a million dollars, he'll immediately build a temple or feed the hungry, whatever. You see, he'll serve Krishna and Krishna's uh, living entities in what, some way or other. Is it time for us to wrap it up? It's about time. It's about time, yeah. It's, it's time to Any other questions before we wrap it up? Comments? Criticisms? Thank you. Hmm. All right. Do we have time for another quick kirtan? Mm -hmm. Yep. Hmm? Okay. Maestro. There's three more gatherings here this Thursday.